Welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. On July 10th and 11th, we were in London for the Coin Summit Conference. This two-day event gathered approximately 250 investors, entrepreneurs, and developers to discuss some of the most important issues facing the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem. This episode features a panel discussion called Decentralized Applications and App Coins. Flavien Charlon, founder of CoinPrism, Ron Gross of the Mastercoin Foundation, and Gavin Wood of Ethereum, who we had on earlier, discuss the fascinating things which are happening in the so-called Bitcoin 2.0 space. The panel starts with a short status update on each of the panelists' respective projects. They also dig into some of the legal implications, lay out the security challenges, and give their thoughts on how they feel the AppCoin and DAC space will evolve in the coming years. I really look forward to the next panel. We've seen a number of successful crowd sales. Um, very recently, uh, Swarm, our sponsor, did a very successful crowd sale. We've seen uh, MadeSafe do one um, a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, MasterCoin did one last summer. Um, and just more generally, AppCoins and um, Bitcoin 2.0 um, is, uh, is potentially an infinite source of innovation in this industry. So really excited about our next panel. So Richard is going to be moderating it. Um, so Richard is well known for his blog, uh, which is gendel.wordpress.com, um, where he writes very, very detailed posts about various aspects of the Bitcoin industry and how the industry compares to the payments industry, for example. So Richard is a senior architect uh, at IBM and someone who's been, I think, quite passionate about the space for quite some time. Um, Ron is the executive director of the Mastercoin Foundation. So Ron actually was um, on stage a year ago at um, uh, what was called Bitcoin London at the time. And, um, and I think you, you must have pivoted at least like three times since then in the, the various uh, things you've been involved with. But Mastercoin has been really your main focus for the last year. And you've been one of the main drivers um, of Mastercoin. And, uh, you know, R Ron called me um, about 36 hours before the the cutoff date for the, the MasterCoin um, fundraising, the initial you know, Genesis or whatever it was called. The, 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 let's say it again? Sale. The crowd sale. Yeah, the crowd sale for MasterCoin. And, and I was actually just moving house at the time and I forgot about it to my loss. So, so um, that's Ron. And then Flavien is the founder of CoinPrism. Um, he's a great developer. Um, he's also... Uh, I don't, are you full-time on CoinPrism yet or not quite yet? Not quite yet. Okay, so um, uh, he's also a senior developer at Microsoft. And Gavin, uh, last but not least, is uh, one of the founders and lead developer of Ethereum. So welcome, guys. So hi, everyone. Um, thanks for coming back after lunch. Uh, thank you for that, that introduction. So I guess, I guess like many people, I started looking at this space um, two, two and a half years ago. And um, coming at it as, as, as an architect who focuses primarily on, on banking and, and financial markets at IBM, um, I, I spent a lot of time looking at, at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies from a payment and, um, and, um, and currency perspective, which I guess has been the focus of most of this, this event so far. But then I started reading some various white papers that, that sort of turned the whole thing upside down and said, actually, no, no, you shouldn't just look at this as a, as, as a currency system. There's a fundamental breakthrough in computer science, which is all about distributed consensus, embedded consensus, 
and, and a new way of, um, of, of, of registering and tracking assets. So, so I'm delighted we've got these three projects represented, which I think, which I see is just um, covering the, the full spectrum. So, so the first thing I want, to, first first place I want to go is is to the um, is, is to Coin Prism, which I see as, as representing, I guess the, I guess the, the the simplest next step from Bitcoin, which is to say, actually, these Bitcoin tokens can represent more than just a Bitcoin. They can represent anything and can be traded and transacted as if they are something else. So perhaps you could just explain that, elaborate on that um, a bit more, with a bit more, sure, be more articulate and, um, and explain what you're doing with your project. Okay. So um, I'm Flavien Charlon, I'm the founder of uh, CoinPrism. And uh, so basically, yeah, CoinPrism is a wallet that can be used for uh, like issuing colored coins, uh, receiving, sending colored coins. And so the concept of colored coins is, um, it's quite simple actually. So it's, uh, it's a concept that's, it's a very generic concept. I mean, MasterCoin uses it as well. And, you know, Ethereum also can implement colored coins. And there are also chains doing that. But the concept is, uh, if I take uh, the example of, um, let's say, a gold uh, bullion bank, um, there would be an issuer of coins. So somebody would go and deposit some gold to that bank, and they would issue colored coins, which would be tokens representing that gold. So every uh, coin could be an ounce of gold, let's say. Uh, then that can be traded on the blockchain. Uh, you know, you, you have it on your wallet, and you can send it or receive it and so on. And um, anybody is, is uh, able to go back to the bullion bank with that token and exchange it for the physical gold. So you can both, uh, so the issuer would both issue the coins and redeem them. So that, that's the general concept be, behind the colored coins. And it can work with any assets. It's basically storing assets on a blockchain. So you're taking, so you could represent any, any real world asset as a, you could turn it into a bearer asset um, tracked yeah. on, on the blockchain. So how do you? So what's the status of the project? Because for people who've been following this space for some time, there's been talk of colored coins for as long as I can remember um, being part of the Bitcoin world, and we've seen various projects. We you know the Chroma Wallet guys are here who presented yesterday. What's the current status of the Coin Prism project, and how does it relate to the other efforts? Is it is it a step beyond? Does it have a different philosophical outlook? How, how do people who I guess you've got fifty percent of the audience here is probably VCs? How do they distinguish between these projects and figure out what it is that you're doing that's, that's unique? Yeah, so the concept of colored coins was uh, coined, uh, uh, I think, in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a bit earlier. And uh, from there, uh, there was uh, the first project, which, which uh, was uh, the Chroma Wallet, and it was called differently at the time. But uh, it's the Chroma Wallet, which is a don downloadable wallet, and they presented yesterday. Um, and uh, after that, uh, more recently, uh, so st starting last year, uh, so we started working on CoinPrism, uh, which is web, uh, web wallet, so a different approach. Um, and, you know, there are other, uh, other projects also now popping up uh, using Colored Coins. Um, so, yeah, there are different projects and some of them are not exactly interoperable together, but that's also something that's going to converge with time. So interoperability is something you're aiming towards. Uh, say again? Interoperability is something you're aiming towards. Yes, yes okay. it's, uh, it's def definitely a goal, yeah. So, and uh, for, for the about Coin Prism, uh, so it, it just launched a month and a half ago uh, in May. So, um, yeah, and uh, right now it lets you issue assets, receive and send assets. And uh, the next steps would be to make a blockchain explorer for colored coins. Do you mind if I ask, Flavian? Yeah, I do, do think. So maybe you can, uh, you can explain a bit about the difference in the protocol between the different implementations. Right? Yeah. What's the different takes? Um, yeah, so... 
Okay, without going too much in the details, maybe uh, the uh, original implementation, uh, the Chroma Wallet, it uh, it uses uh, normal Bitcoin transactions, which look really like any Bitcoin transaction, and they use order-based coloring, so it's like they take inputs and outputs, outputs in order. Um, Coin Prism uses uh, like a different method where we use the op return to encode metadata, mm. and because op return is only standard. Uh, it only became standard in uh, Bitcoin 0.9, which was very recent. Uh, this is something that couldn't be used before, but uh, so this is uh, one of the main differences between the two coloring modes. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty useful segue because I, I want to bring um, bring Ron in now. So, so if I think of the, the color coin projects as, as representing assets and, and tagging, coloring, um, coloring, coloring Bitcoins, I think when I first read the papers on Mastercoin, it was a revelation to me because. What you seem to be doing was say, actually, you know, forget currency, forget the bitcoins. What bitcoin is actually giving is this consensus system. It's giving us a storage service. It's giving us a timestamping service. So it's almost like you're saying, actually, forget half this entire project. We're just going to use it as a piece of infrastructure and then build something brand new on top. Um, so is, is, is that what is, is that the best way to think about it, or maybe explain yeah, I mean, where you are with Mastercoin at the moment? So that's that's the biggest revelation around the Mastercoin is that, you know we, we've we've of course been inspired by by efforts like such as Coral Coins. I think we've been around maybe a year before, uh, at least in idea concept level. Uh, and again, we, the, we saw all the recent uh, developments again in the last few years of all these outchains, everybody taking the Bitcoin code, forking it, and added, adding this feature, adding that feature. And each, each and every one of these altcoins had to worry about security problems, uh, mining. Uh, a lot of them were attacked uh, by, by miners of competing chains. We realized, or, or JR basically realized, that once you have Bitcoin as the really core central network that everybody uses, then there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. We can just use that as a base level, uh, get all the time stepping, get all the security, get all the mining, and, and just use Bitcoin transactions to encode arbitrary, arbitrary data. So, yeah, you know, that's, uh, we, we, we basically take any, any MasterCoin operation, uh, issuing a new currency, issuing a crowd sale, sending MasterCoins, uh, doing uh, other things like decentralized exchanges, each and every one of these operations, they use the same Bitcoin uh, addresses, the same private keys. They just sign the, the custom messages that are encoded into the blockchain. So what would be, what would be a real-world real world example of someone who's using MasterCoin right now? Who is, you say, is your, your flagship project, your flagship user that, yeah, that so, shows it in action? You know, Pamir has mentioned MadeSafe. Uh, it was actually yeah. a few months ago, not a few weeks ago. But uh, yeah, that's, that was... Uh, the focus for Mastercoin in the last year has been around issuing or enabling users to issue currency or issue tokens on the protocol. So Maysafe is a very good example of this. It's a Scottish company. They worked for eight years in, in, in their space. They're, they're building a decentralized internet uh, and, and they were looking in, in di into different business models, right? They were thinking of charging maybe 1% of all fees or other things like that. So when, when, we, when, did, when did they realize the power of, of Bitcoin and decentralized networks or, or of, of blockchain technology, basically, then they decided to use the master protocol or the master coin protocol, uh, issue made safe coins, and then use these to power their, their application. So uh, they're used as, as peer -to -peer, in peer-to-peer -peer applications where one person can send these coins directly to another person in exchange for a service that that person provides. So this whole area of, of decentralized applications is, is one aspect of, of how people can use MasterCoin. Another aspect is a lot more down-to-earth, and that's a lot more like uh, the things uh, Color Coins have been thinking about, talking about, 
the, the most recent example from a few days ago, uh, as uh, cited on the Wall Street Journal, is Real, RealCoin. Right? That's uh, a coin that is backed by US dollars in a vault or in a bank account. You, you send, you wire US dollars to that account, you get in return real coins, and you can redeem that. And there's KYC in that process, but after you complete it, you have to tokens on the blockchain that you can transact freely, efficiently, quickly, securely. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. So I want to come to issuance in a few minutes because I think there's some legal and, um, and yeah. I guess sort of security economics questions that it, that it raises that I don't think have been fully explored. So just before I do that, let's bring, uh, bring Gavin in um, for mm -hmm. Ethereum. Maybe just bring the group up to speed with two things. Um, one, um, what is the, the simplest description of it? Because I think people, even today, <laughs> you speak to people, they say to them, right, do you get Ethereum? And they, they nod and then you say, go and explain it to me. And Usually they can't. So you're, you're not allowed to use Turing. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't right. say Turing complete. <laughs> so the, sim the simplest description of the vision, and then just bring us up to speed on what's the current state, either with the, the Ether sale or, or, or where, where the project currently is. Sure. Um, so Ethereum can be thought of in two separate ways. One is the sort of vision, and I'm going to stay away from that for the moment. Um, and the other is the technology. So. In a way, the technology provides a generalized computing mechanism for doing social contracts, for creating and for enforcing social contracts. So then the question becomes, what's a social contract? Um, and I think Bitcoin really gave us the first um, true example of a, of a decentralized social contract. It's uh, the idea of a, um, a clearinghouse or a currency system um, was a really sort of poignant but very simple example of a social contract. So the idea being that, of course, I, I recognize the fungibility and the value of your Bitcoins as long as you similarly recognize the fungibility and, and value of mine. And so Ethereum says, right, well, this can actually be represented relatively uh, as a relatively trivial um, computation. Basically, if I spend some of my Bitcoins, I, I give them to you, then uh, my Bitcoins are reduced by a certain amount and yours are increased. I mean, it actually implements it in slightly different ways, but that's can ignore that for the moment. Um, and Ethereum says, right, well, let's just uh, make that into a more generalized infrastructure, a completely generalized infrastructure for doing arbitrary social contracts. What would be an example? Because you could say there's a contract that says somebody must do X, but there's then the question of, well, how do you compel them or how do you resolve the case if they don't? And where, where, what, what fascinates me most about Ethereum is of the three projects, it's, it's the one that seems to be, and you mentioned social contract, it's the one that seems to get closest to the real world. So you know, we can agree that I have a certain number of Bitcoins or I don't, so that they're worth something or they're not, but it's, it's within a relatively closed world. But when you look at some of the things that I'm told that Ethereum can do, that the implication is the Ethereum system will be telling a human to do something or the human will do something because Ethereum tells them and there's nothing that will make that happen. So how does, what's an example of something that goes beyond currency that it could do that these other two platforms couldn't? So I think it's important to remember that once you have currency, you effectively have an incentivization strategy for getting people to do things. For instance, I might offer a reward for somebody who walks my dog. And then we may have some cunning technological uh, uh, solution so that, um, for instance, GPS tagging on the dog or whatever it'll be, um, so that somebody, some maybe one of a, a number of trusted dog walkers can take my dog, take them for a walk and show a little uh, QR ID to a little device on a dog's um, lapel. And um, we'll have uh, a way of uh, setting up a contract so that that person then instantly gets paid purely 
literally for the physical act of walking the dog. And you can avoid the, uh, the, ne- the unnecessary middleman sort of fees for working out, you know, who walked the dog when they walked it, whether they actually did walk it and the rest of it. Sure. Okay. So... Good example. I suppose walking the dog is probably not the top of the, uh, well. the, the must fix human problem facing humanity, but it, it motivates the point. I get it. But okay, so it's a very quick comment on what is the current state of the project? When, when should people expect to see something go live, something to be available to buy? What, what should um, we expect? We're hoping for uh, to commence the Ether sale in the coming, if not uh, uh, days, then uh, a week or two. Um, it's been like this for a while, but we really are getting things sorted now. We've, we've uh, made a few uh, structural changes. We've got, a, we've got the legal sorted, so we're basically happy to, uh, to kick off. In terms of the development, we'll be shortly releasing our fifth proof of concept um, piece of software, so client, basically. With this, you can actually um, uh, write contracts, test them, go on the test net, interact with other people. We have a number of sort of quite large projects using the Ethereum as their, as their backbone for their projects now. So we have one that's uh, Project Doug. Although I'm not familiar with the, uh, the nitty gritty, I, I help the developers um, that they're active in the channels and we uh, give them to understand that they're actually sort of uh, using Ethereum to produce a functioning decentralized uh, state. So is this the, is the Preston Burn initiative that, that entered the competition for the, um, the 100,000 right. to replace? Yeah. Replace the foundation. Okay. Yes, very interesting. So, yeah, uh, we're at a point where where we, you know, you really can implement quite complex decentralized applications on top of even just now with the proof of concept. And we're hoping within, well, let's say, six months, we'll have a uh, a contender for the final release and uh, ready for the Genesis block to go. Okay, thanks. So you mentioned complex scenarios. Let's just go back to the simplest one, this idea of issuance. So I guess this is mainly a question for, for the um, Colored Coins and, um, and, and, and MasterCoin world. Um, even if you take the, the simplest example of, of issuing an asset onto, onto a blockchain or onto something like MasterCoin, it immediately raises all kinds of legal questions. So if the thing looks like a bond or it looks like an equity, then there are rules in most countries about who's allowed to issue them, what, what is needed from the, from the perspective of a prospectus, and who's allowed to trade them. And even if that were not a case, there's a question then of, well, in a truly in the trust-free Bitcoin world, you don't need to know who anybody is. But in the world where people are issuing things, you are completely reliant on that issuer being who they say they are and being good for their word. Is there anything in either platform that either solves that, that trust and identity issue so you know who these issuers are and you can be sure they are who they say they are? And have either project done any work on, on the legal side of things so that people issuing things on your platform at least have guidance as to what is and isn't allowed in a particular jurisdiction? So maybe Flavien, you go first. Yeah, so... Um Coin is like a technical solution, but it, uh, you may issue equity or bonds on the blockchain, but it doesn't free you from your legal obligations. So uh, if you issue equity, you still have to make sure that you can do that in your country if it's legal or not. Like the US, I don't think it is legal to do that. Um, and the way you can enforce regulation uh, if you need to is, um, is when you go in and out of the blockchain, for example. So in the case of Railcoin, um, I think the, the, the AMLKYC procedures are done when you either deposit money there or withdraw the money. And uh, so they know who uh, gets money into the system and gets money out, but they don't know the chain in the middle. But uh, in that case, I don't think it's actually required. Uh, so yeah, you, can, you cannot enforce what happens within the, the system but uh, you can control the gates like uh, in and out. So, so just on that one, before, before we widen it back up, so, so who is or what is your target market? Because you look around here, so you've got, you've got Northern Trust over there somewhere, a big custodian, you've got City GTS, and you've got big custody banks. Is it your, 
is it your vision that they would be issuing um, or they would be representing securities under their custody on your platform? Or is your target market actually startups or, or, or should we not be thinking of the securities industry? Actually, it's different types of assets you're planning to, to, to carry. Yeah, I think there are, yeah, there are many applications to Colored Coins, right? But uh, I think what's popular nowadays, it's, it's basically what people are doing today is basically what people are doing with MasterCoin, which is crowd sales mostly. Um, and perhaps uh, like a currency uh, on the blockchain, which would be different, no, like fiat currency, for example. Uh, that's the, the easiest use case to tackle. Uh, but equity is definitely, it has many legal questions. Uh, so it's definitely something that's, uh, that's going to take more time to figure out. Do you see it as your problem any, as you're looking for investors, as you're looking to grow the organization? Are you seeing that as a problem you have to solve and that you need an answer for in order to be viable? Or are you focused entirely on the technology and expecting others to, to, to come along either with, 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 with legal wrappers and, and other, other companies who've solved that? Where do, where do you see your, your opportunity and your focus? Yeah, for now, we mostly focus on the technology. Yeah, we let issuers figure out their own uh, you know, problems. If um, you know, it's their business models, if they're an issuer, they, they have to figure out what they can and cannot do. And we provide the tools to them, but then they have to use it uh, correctly. Uh, so, so Ron, I guess a similar question. Um, is there anything um, that you're doing on the legal side, I guess, anything that you learned from the made safe work? And then also just address that identity question. How do we know who these issuers are? Yeah, so, so definitely we've spent a lot of time in the last year, you know, looking at this, talking to lawyers, uh, investigating this. First of all, the, uh, I'll start from the end. The, the dice is uh, still out, right? It's, it's not clear what's what going to happen. Regulators are just now starting to slowly understand Bitcoin. I think they're very far away from understanding this type of uh, advanced uh, mechanisms. Uh, but, you know, they, they are looking at the space that, that we know. Uh, now, of course, we, we advise all parties to that issue on, on these platforms to really check, do their homework, do their legal homework, consult with your lawyers, understand what's going on. Uh, what we are, you know, we are, we're compiling our internal uh, databases or uh, knowledge bases that we, we share uh, with, with everybody who is interested on, you know, just capture the bits of knowledge that we know. And we're working with an organization called Coda that sort of bridges the industry. I think Ethereum are members, some parties are also members of that. Because the, the issues are re, really cross-cutting. It's not just, just Ethereum, just MasterCoin, just ColorCoin. It's, it's the same issues for, for a lot of these. Um, so some bit of practical advice that I, I can give. We, like, you know, you, you said that shares or equity or issuing equity on the blockchain isn't legal in the US. Well, we haven't found any, any place where it is legal. <laughs> right? So we're just telling everybody, don't, you know, don't issue equity, don't issue shares. Uh, construct your business otherwise. Right. In, in the case of MadeSafe, uh, you know, they're, they're in Scotland, they have Scot Scottish regulation uh, or UK regulation, but uh, it, it was never a share, right? It's never a promise of, of future dividends or promise. It's, it's a token that is used to power an application, right? That's a very easy thing to do. Like you go on Kickstarter, you, you will purchase an OUYA or a, whatever, a, whatever a game you want to, to, or hardware you want to purchase in advance. So here you can purchase a, an access key to an application before it's developed. That's one way to do it. Another thing is you can, you can issue an asset that is backed by something real. And in this case, you know, you have the asset, you can be audited, you can be controlled. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's actually, you know, doing equity issuance. Uh, you know, some people are using similar terms, but I'm 
mm. you know, beaches, others. I, I'm, we're staying clear of, of these it, terms. It's, it's interesting listening to it. It does strike me that if you're looking for opportunities or other projects looking at this space, the one that cracks that legal side, the one that can wrap the can is part of their company say, and also we've got a legal opinion or we have some, some legal agreement that says these are the things one can and can't do and actually there are th certain types of assets you can issue under this jurisdiction. It sounds like that would give them a um, give them give them an advantage is, is, is the sense I'm getting from from, from that. I think I'd better move on. Um, the, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was and it was motivated by I think it was the 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 51% panel earlier. I think it was I think it was Jeff Garzik who commented he said let's just be clear the the, the only um, coin that's secure or has the chance of being secure is Bitcoin, was, was his argument. Um, so I really want to co cover two areas. So the first one is, what is the, what, what's the Ethereum security model? What, what, what's the underlying assumption or belief about the future that means people who build things on it can believe it will be secure? Do you need a huge pool of miners? Is, there, is it economic in, insight? What makes people believe it will be secure given it's not secured by the Bitcoin mining network? Um, the fundamental philosophy of security is unchanged from Bitcoin. So the idea is that um, you have a proof of work, you have people um, who uh, solve the proof of work, um, and they are rewarded for that. Um, so then the question becomes, how does the, you know, are we fixing anything or are we fixing any perceived problems from Bitcoin? And I think to some degree, yes, we are. We are, we are still 100% uh, um, um, dedicated to finding um, a truly ASIC uh, resistant uh, proof of work algorithm. I think um, uh, the notion of uh, massive investment leading to um, super linear returns in terms of um, one's ability to uh, provide that proof of work, uh, which is what we see when we see um, what is it, three or four of the uh, of, of the major mining uh, consortiums uh, taking up what's the percentage three or four of, of total uh, total box mined? It's it's yeah. quite a lot. Um, it's certainly well above fifty, and this is a major issue in 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 my opinion regarding security. Um, with Ethereum, we are trying to reduce the uh, reliance on ASICs to, to zero and therefore um, effectively bring the bar uh, much lower in terms of a realistic um, return for computation power put in. And then it strikes me with the coloured coins projects, and I think probably MasterCoin to the same extent, the, the interesting thing I find there is it's the, the potential impact your projects have on the the analysis of Bitcoin security. So if you take just the, I guess, the simplest interpretation of the well, simplest implementation of colored coins, you could imagine a world where there's like, say, 5,000 Satoshis or whatever the dust limit is representing a billion dollars in IBM stock. And that's great. I could send that, I could send that output to somebody and I'm moving IBM stock all around the world. Until somebody, somebody then notices and says, well, hang on a sec, there's you know, 5,000 Satoshis there that if I can double spend, I can steal a billion dollars. Now, at the mining level, that's just 5,000 Satoshis. And there's a question of, well, you know, how interested would anybody be if it did happen? Maybe they'd be very interested because a double spend is a double spend. But from the mining perspective, the, the economics of spending, of the amount of money you'd have to double spend to double spend 5,000 Satoshis is not very much. But from the coloured coins perspective, it's a billion dollars. So there's this mismatch because what's going on in the coloured coins and the master coin world is opaque to the Bitcoin system. Is, is that something that, that worries you? Is that something you have any thoughts on? Is that something fees can fix? Is it an issue or am I, am I over-exaggerating? Yeah, it's definitely an issue at the moment uh, from what we know today. But uh, yeah, one way to potentially to fix that, um, 
would be to have fees. And so the miners would be aware of some of the most valuable uh, assets on the blockchain and they would, uh, they would accept transactions with a fee proportional to the value transacted. So if I'm, tra if I'm sending a million shares of IBM, uh, the fee would have to be uh, pretty high in that case, even though that's only 500 Satoshis. Um, but uh, also uh, this attack is kind of mitigated in, in some way. Uh, because if somebody does a double spend and breaks, uh, maybe breaks the whole ledger for one specific asset, what the issuer can do, he can always reissue new uh, tokens that represent the asset and invalidate the previous ones. And he can do that according to a time, like a few minutes before the attack. So that kind of negates a little bit or mitigates the, uh, this, poten this attack uh, potentially. Okay. Is it a similar analysis for MasterCoin? Yeah, so basically, the analysis is very similar for both uh, both protocols, but I actually I don't I don't agree that I, I think that that this kind of uh, attacks on you know whether it's five thousand satoshis or, or whatever it re is representing the value, I think it's it, it's identical to Bitcoin. I mean, it's, it's small pieces of data that represent an arbitrary financial value, and it's not easier to attack five thousand satoshis than it is to attack one thousand bitcoins. It's still the same 51% attack that's required for both. And you know, the, the underlying assumptions under, under all these protocols is that that is very, very, very expensive and hard to do. Now, if the, as the Bitcoin economy grows, and I'm, I'm, I'm including in that all these upper layers, right? If there's value added in there, except just the Satoshi, but also in, in various tokens, as the value of this economy grows, the, the mining industry has to grow to accommodate that. Right? Other, otherwise, there's a gap in the security. Understood. Okay, I'm going to, uh, before I wrap up with a few questions at the end, in the last 10 minutes, I'm going to open up two questions from the audience to get ready with the mics. Um, any questions for the panel? One down here at the front. Sure. Uh, this is a question for Gavin. Um, so, in the debate between having, uh, you know, uh, ASICs coming out for proof of work compared to just a general purpose computer, uh, sometimes you'll see the counter argument online often is, oh, well, if it's just uh, you know, general purpose computing, then instead of having an ASIC mining consortium, you're just going to have uh, groups of botnets and uh, you know, people running malware uh, controlling a large part of the Ethereum mining. What would be your uh, response to that argument? I would hope that we uh, improve uh, OS security <laughs> to some degree. Um, I... Uh... <sighs> I think that if a sufficient reward is offered, there'll be um, a sufficient number of people um, who have secure machines that uh, mine legitimately to outweigh the, uh, the bots effectively running on um, insecure and often underpowered machines. But we'll do some modeling, we'll see. Do some modeling. Any more questions for the panel? Okay, well, while the, while the audience thinks, um, the thing that I often struggle with is what's, what's the end game for this project? So I deliberately came at this panel from a, from a technical perspective. So here are things you could do with Bitcoin tokens, here are protocols you could layer over the top, here are the things that Ethereum could do. Where I often struggle, certainly when I'm explaining this internally in the company or to clients, is to say, well, there are all these things you could do but actually what would people want to do and what is, what is the world-changing um, um, outcome of, of building it? So for Bitcoin, it's clear. You know, I can send value from A to B with no third party near instantly. 
not for free, but near instantly. There's, there's, there's a compelling value proposition. You know, what's, what's the dream? I'll, I'll ask this to each of you, starting with you, Ron. What is the dream that motivates, it, that motivates you? You're full-time on this project. What is it you're trying to build? What's the, what's the vision? So you heard, I think it was Joel yesterday from Swarm who was asking the VC panel, like, what kind of added value you can give me when I can raise all this money without you, right? So just look at all the financial industry that's developed, you know, in London and all these other capitals. Uh, there's so much, like, Bitcoin is just the first step. Bitcoin is money. There's so much more activity, financial activity, economical activity, entrepreneurship activity. And, and we want to provide people with tools to, to do that directly peer-to-peer in a transparent way without relying on some central party that, you know, enforces these draconian laws and all, all these convoluted concepts, basically. Uh, it's, it's the logical next step. There's so much, so much uh, activity going on in that space that is just waiting for a way to, to, to get that money. money. Uh, MadeSafe, again, the, the perfect example. They're a Scottish company. Uh, the, the VC environment, the venture capitalist environment in there isn't that complicated. Money, you know, VCs tend to invest locally. They don't like you know, foreign investments. But here, they have a really good idea. They, they work for eight years. They publish their white papers, and they get $8 million, right, <laughs> suddenly, over, over two days. So yeah, that, that, that's what we're trying to facilitate. So that's why you get up and why, why you work on it. Yeah. So, what's, it's the, so, so I guess it's, Coin Prism is a much, much narrower proposition than, as I understand it. What, what's the driving vision? Because... Coming into this panel, I thought you say, you know, the world, the, the, all future financial transactions or financial assets will be represented on the platform, and the, you know, the Northern Rock building will be closed, the Northern um, Northern Trust building will be closed down, and custodian banks won't need to exist. And then you didn't engage with that, that you, as if that wasn't the vision. So, so what is this driving Coin Prism? What 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 is your market? What, what, are, you, what are you going for? So I think yeah, there are many use cases to be to uh, like product coin and assets on on a blockchain, but I think. You know, people always talk about uh, very uh, com- complex use cases and so on. I think some of most, a lot of them actually um, may not be uh, that, you know, may not compete with uh, what the, like the, the uh, world today does. Uh, but some of them are very compelling, like maybe the ability to send uh, currencies, any currency uh, through uh, Bitcoin, through the Bitcoin network. But then why wouldn't you say Ripple for that? What would, well, okay, well, Ripple is also an implementation of Colored Coins, right? So I'm just t- talking generally. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah you could re- use Ripple, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a very uh, compelling value proposition because today what you can do, you can, you can do it through Bitcoin, but uh, some people don't want exposure to Bitcoin or you, know, you may want to just transfer a specific currency to somebody to your home country. So this is, this is something that, that is made possible with uh, Colored Coin. Uh, and that, that's one use case. And I guess the crowdfunding also, as I think we, MasterCoin has, has showed that it's uh, something that people want to do and that that's working. So, yeah, I think this is another thing that's very, that, that can work very well. I mean, we're, we're just at the start of the, of the trend, right? MadeSafe or MasterCoin, MadeSafe were the first sort of birds in the, that game. But, you know, now we're seeing like 10 different issuances on this platform, 10 issuances on, that, on one platform. And, and you know, we, we expect hundreds of issuances until the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like the, the, we're showing the capability and every, every new entrepreneur that sees what the 10 entrepreneurs before him suddenly wants in on the game. 
Yes. And then when I think of Ethereum, I mean, I still remember the first time I read the first white paper by Vitalik. So I'd spent a bit of time reviewing some of the Coloured Coins documents and I'd seen his name and sort of fingerprints all over them. And then out of nowhere comes this, well, I wasn't expecting it, comes this white paper where he has a critique and then paints this vision. And the first four or five pages are you know, really quite compelling vision of the future. And then there's 20 pages of, of, um, of detail at the back that I didn't understand. And presumably you were a reader of that, which motivated you to join. So what was it? What was the driving ambition that made you think, this is what I'm going to spend all the time on? Because I guess you're, you're founder but also there's, there's a vision coming from Vitalik as well I guess yeah. Um, yeah I I think many people are drawn to Ethereum for a number of different reasons um, for me originally it was the uh, wanting to uh, implement the technology to see if it could work mm-hmm. um, and learn a bit, mal- bit more about the blockchain um, but I think the one sort of overriding vision a basic idea is to bring um a notion of, of um, fairness, honesty, and transparency to uh, throughout society, throughout the world. So in the same way that Bitcoin kind of touches on that in terms of finance, um, where we can sort of start to understand how society spends its money, how money flows through society. Um, with Ethereum, it's... <laughs> in a more general sense, how people interact, how people agree, um, what arrangements are made between people, how society interacts with itself. And we want to take the fairness and the honesty and the transparency that Bitcoin brings to currency and just put that to the entirety of the dealings within society. Fairness, honesty, transparency. I'll write that one down. That's a vision to back Vision to back. Um, it's good. Something that I've seen is common to all three, and I may bring Ron in because I know you, you, you there's something on your blog a few days ago. Is the sense I get is it's taken all the projects in this decentralized application space longer to get to where they're going than they expected at first. So you look at the Coloured Coins papers, it's taken a long time to find a way to send Bitcoins through the network that retain their colour. And, and similarly with um, you know, the, the various iterations of Ethereum, but we're getting there. Um, Sounds like obviously Mastercoin is up and running, but even there you've gone down several lines. You've started, you've stopped again, and then now it seems that there's a spin-out project, or there's a there's the wallet I saw on your blog earlier this week. So, what, what, tell me a bit about that. What you've announced there? Yeah. So, so on, on the on which one that you addressed? So, so um, primarily on the wallet because it sounds like you almost ended up with something that wasn't part of the original vision. So you've now spun out, but I didn't quite understand whether that was part of the plan to start with or what. So maybe explain to people what it is you've announced and then. Right, so we have the the base or the primary wallet to use for Mastercoin is OmniWallet. We we build that as a web wallet from the ground up to to really support Bitcoin, Mastercoin transaction, crowd sales, all this uh, cool functionality. But since we're designing the the wallet uh, from day one, uh, thinking there's going to be tens or, or hundreds of currencies issued on that, now we want to take it to the next level. And, and really be home to all different currencies out there, not just Mastercoin currencies. Right? There's ha- literally hundreds of, of altcoins these days. There are other protocols, counterparty, Ethereum, uh, counterparty, Ripple, all of these coins. And we, we feel it's uh, a bit redundant or, or even silly that users, consumers, have to use 5, 10, 20 different wallets to store their coins. So we want to take OmniWallet to really uh, branch out and not just, not just be about Mastercoin, but to build it as a for-profit company. We're actually look, looking for a CEO to lead that company right now and solidify. We have the technical team. Uh, what we, you know, we're focusing on the master protocol of the Mastercoin. We just want somebody to come and bring that and, and take it to the next level. 
and that int that's intended to be a consumer wallet, so, the, so an average person would use this yeah, Omni that's wallet. Definitely. It's, it's like the, the blockchain or the info or the Coinbase of, of altcoins and appcoins. Right. Okay. Well, I've got one last question, but in the last three minutes, any, anybody with a burning question? We've got two. So let's just, okay, let's go to you, let's do you, and then we'll go to the guy in yellow at the end. So when you talk about um, being an exchange or a place where people can buy altcoins and other assets, you also spoke about being independent of third parties. How can those two things happen? I'm independent of third parties? Yes, you were talking about it, and so were you. You were, you were talking about the fact that you would be able to buy it. You'd be able to, with altcoins or colored coins or master coins, represent other assets. Mm -hmm. But those assets, and they have to represent real assets, right? So they have to be issued by somebody, somebody who has an identity right. and is an individual. So, or, exactly. So there is, there has to be a third party that has to be established and for yeah, you so to work with, right? So maybe I can take that. So we're seeing. No, it's, a, it's an evolutionary process, right? We're seeing the first steps in terms of real coin and backing, you know, with US dollars or other companies uh, issuing coins backed by gold, backed by, by land. There's, there's this, this is the, the first evolution of that. But the, the grander vision has always been to uh, also allow completely trustless mechanisms to do that. And we have, uh, we have ideas on that for, for a long time. We're just, you know, developing them in, sequentially. Uh, but the idea is basically, basically to take two parties, uh, you know, I, I want to buy some Google short shares, you want to sell or to short some Google shares, and we can enter into a financial contract without any, any one of us actually owning the shares. And the protocol ensures that, you know, if, if the shares move, then you're liquidated or I'm liquidated accordingly. So it's definitely on the roadmap. Okay, thanks. We we'll probably spend another 10 minutes on that one. And really quickly, there's a question in yellow at the end, in the last two minutes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emmanuel from Pianova. I have a question regarding AppCoin. So um, there are a lot of um, assumptions being made on infrastructure. I draw the same similarities to what we have in um, video streaming in America where people now want to start charging for types of traffic. So what do you guys have in mind in terms of working with uh, miners or other companies in the future to ensure that that infrastructure is not pulled from under your feet? Yeah, so uh, Peter Todd has actually done a lot of work on, on that. You know, it's it's something that's it's already on our minds. It's not a it's it's not a burning issue right now. But I know that some miners, you know, there's, there's political issues. Some miners don't like these different types of transactions. Some some slow them down. Some some uh, flat out uh, just ban them. Uh, the whole point here is to really take the protocol and evolve it in a way that's that's obfuscating everything that's going on. So we would essentially have to run a full MasterCoin node in order to know that these are MasterCoin transactions. So this is more research, long-term work that's being done. But you are, you are dependent on the miners accepting your transactions and not, uh, so, so either being neutral or not charging you um, unnecessarily high fees. Maybe to get last word to Florian. Yeah, so you know, Bitcoin is kind of uh, sold as a decentralized system that, that's uh, fair and uh, you know, very open and transparent, but uh, doing something like rejecting some transactions, the miners rejecting some transactions, is uh, it's a bit like censorship. So ideally, uh, the transa every transaction should be equal and every transaction, as long as they pay enough fees, should be able to be included in the blockchain. That, that's my opinion, but I know some uh, core developers don't agree with that, but... Uh, but, it, but it is a risk that you just, you just have to deal with, I guess. Yes. 
Okay, we're out of time. So it's freedom, honesty, transparency. I'll remember that one. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you to the panel. Thanks so much for listening to our coverage of Coin Summit. If you enjoyed this episode, please support us with your donation. It really helps us traveling to conferences and produce high-quality content for you. You can donate at epicenterbitcoin.com tips, where we have our tipping addresses and also an option for donation subscriptions. Your support is much appreciated, and special thanks to those generous souls who have already donated to the podcast. 